Good morning, church. Good morning. What a good day to be here. Um, my name is Dustin, and I get the privilege of serving as a pastor. So from us to you, welcome. We're glad you're here. If it's your first time, we're especially glad you came to worship with us. Um, we're still in a Christmas season, and so uh, next time we meet, Christmas will be over. So this will be the last Christmas sermon, but uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. Uh, you say, well, why are we doing Luke 2? That's the Christmas story, yes, but that Christmas story... Uh, is also in Matthew, a little bit in John, as we saw last week, but uh, we spent the last uh, 50 weeks or so uh, in the book of Acts, and so I figured it would be best to get the account from the same author as Acts, and so uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and so we're going to look at Luke's account, get three brief reminders, and then we'll roll forward. Does that sound good? Yep, I hope so. Um, I appreciate whoever gave me a Christmas gift up here. It says to preacher man. So I figured I'd move it out of the way. Thank you guys so much. So I don't know. There might be cash in it. It might be empty and nothing. I have no idea. So I just saw it. Um, so I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I got to thinking as we were getting ready to do this, and I don't share a ton before we get into God's Word. I think we have plenty of time to do that. We try to put those things in announcements so that we can focus on Scripture when I get here. But um you know, I got to thinking this, this week, just, I, I don't know about y'all, but are you, you're supposed to think about gratitude and thankfulness when it's Thanksgiving, but I don't know. I tend to do that more when Christmas comes. I don't know why, um, but I don't know. I just got to thinking how thankful I am for you guys. Um, you know, you, you set out to start a church, and so if you're new here, uh, we hadn't even met for a year yet uh, as, a, as a normal church, so to speak, a little over that, Count and Launch team, but uh, the Lord's done so much in our midst. Um, I, I'm just so thankful. I mean, I, I hear you guys singing and worshiping Jesus. That makes me more fired up than anything. Um, more than our budget growing, more than uh, uh, piling people in here and, and even having a huge church and none of that. Um, I feel like we have people that genuinely love the Lord. I think we have a lot of people that are excited to uh, know the Lord, that are excited to serve God, are excited to uh, truly make God, then things of God, important in their life. And that makes me more excited than anything. Um, I, I would rather go to war for Christ with 50 people who genuinely love the Lord than 5,000 who I'm not real sure about. And so um, I feel that way with our church. And so um, I'm super thankful for you guys. I know uh, our family and just everything uh, that we have in our church family. And so I appreciate you guys. That's my heartfelt love, not of the Bible, okay? Here we go. Um, so yeah, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. Um, I, I went back and forth on this. I decided to scratch uh, the one deep thing I had in here that I know sometimes that we, we have about each week. Um, I decided to scratch it, so the sermon's going to be simple, hopefully practical. And I, I, my prayer is this morning that as we read this story, uh, more than anything, it just stirs our, our, our affections for Christ. Um, I pray that uh, the, the sermon's not going to be something that light bulbs are going off left and right, but I hope that it causes us to think back on what Christ has done for us, what God did through the birth of Jesus, and ultimately how Christmas leads to the cross, which ultimately led for our salvation, and how that can be a reminder of our gratitude towards God and all that he's done for us. And so uh, we'll try to make those connections this morning, and then we'll sing a song, and we'll be done, and y'all will get to go. Enjoy your weekend and week celebrating Christmas. So here we go. The birth of Jesus in Luke, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days a decree was went out from Caesar Augustus that all 
the world should be registered, kind of like a census that we do here, similar in the Roman world. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, this time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I'm just going to keep reading it all. We'll read 20 verses this morning. If you get bored, be convicted. If not, enjoy the story of Jesus. <laughs> Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, that they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel and multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and it has been told them. Verse 21, at, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray, and we'll unpack this passage. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for your word, and uh, God, we're thankful for your revelation to us through it. And Lord, I pray as we read your word and unpack it for our lives, God, I pray that it would stir our affections for you. God, uh, use your word as it says in Romans that it won't return void. So God, we pray that as it sharpens us and reminds us, God, supernatural things happen when we read your word. God, we don't have to search for it. You've given it to us in Holy Scripture. And so I pray now that it would work on our hearts and in our minds to make us love you more. And so we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to use my introduction time to kind of explain a little bit of what happened. But um, in, in the first three words of this passage, it says in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, in those days, what often happens, and I don't know about y'all, but it happens with me very easily, is you hear Bible stories, or especially the stories of Christ, and it seems kind of far off. Y'all know what I mean? Like you, you think Paul wasn't a real person, he was like a god, or you hear these Bible stories and you're like... I can't quite wrap my mind around it. Like the Bible's kind of abstract. Y'all following me on this? And so it becomes hard. Well, I think it's interesting to say that this right here, when Luke is writing this, Luke being a real person, he says in those days, he doesn't say once upon a time. 
You follow me on this? This isn't a, a fake story of God becoming flesh. This is a real event, a real time in history with a real person coming to earth. Okay, and we know this from last week when Jesus came and became a baby. He didn't subtract from his spirit divinity when he was with the Father, right? When the Trinity was perfectly together before the foundations of the world, okay? He didn't subtract his divinity at all. He just added flesh to it. And so now when he was the true Jesus, he was fully still God with his, all of his godly characteristics, but he was also now a full human, okay, with two different things. And so uh, he's fully man and fully God. And so I got to thinking about that because that's kind of a big deal and it sounds abstract. But let me just ask a quick question. How many of y'all have ever heard of the meta world, the metaverse? I'm really serious. Y'all raise your hands. You've heard of metaverse. Okay. I'm excited. That's cool. Okay. So for you people who haven't heard of this, it's like an alternate reality. Okay. It's very popular in young people. Basically what it is, is uh, you, you log in um, to this other thing and you create a character and your character goes and lives in another uh, another verse another world okay and you kind of vicariously live through this character okay but now what they've done is it's genius they make you use real money to live in a fake world I'm like I mean it almost sounds I, there's probably somebody in here who like works for metaverse and they're like he's throwing away our I don't know it's, it's just weird okay I don't understand it but but what it is okay is it's like an alternate reality. It's like separate. It's very abstract to think about it, but it's real money that gets used. Somebody in uh, Meta World the other day, uh, I call it Meta World. I think you're supposed to call it Metaverse, but they bought a cruise ship for $650,000. Real money, okay? In a, in a not a real world, okay? I, I, I struggle to kind of fathom it, what, what they're doing or what's going on, but um, I know it's kind of like spending money on all the other video games, you know, you're spending real money on things that don't really exist anyways, but it got me to thinking and, and I think the way that I want to apply that to this is if we're honest, the way that we kind of joke about meta world or metaverse or those type things, that's kind of how we see the story of Jesus sometimes. You know what I mean? It's like this abstract idea that how could the almighty God truly come to earth and it becomes a fairy tale in our mind rather than trying to really grasp what's going on. And so because that's kind of hard for us, we just kind of write it off and don't think about it. You know what I mean? And so uh, if you missed last week, I would say last week's sermon kind of helped us unpack that. But now what I want to do is rather than thinking so big and abstract about it, I want to give us three reminders from this passage that kind of grab our heart. Okay. Rather than challenging our minds, I want to just remind our heart about what happens here with them. And so I'll give you my three points and we'll hit them and then we'll be done. Here they are. I'm going to kind of divide it into the three people, the three characters we see and the reminders we get from those three characters in this story. The first one is Caesar reminds us that God is ultimately in control. We'll see this in a minute, but on the surface, it seemed like Caesar was in control. But what we know is Joseph going to Bethlehem shows us that God was really in control when Caesar thought he was. The second one is the shepherds and angels remind us of the gospel. The shepherds and angels come in, they, they all of a sudden, they have fear, but then they all of a sudden say, but here's the best news in the world, Christ is born. And then they go on singing and worshiping, which is the best news for us when we realize our sin before a holy God. And then thirdly, Mary reminds us of our greatest treasure. 
It says that Mary stored up all these things in her heart when she hears about Christ and she treasures Christ, who is her son, which is interesting to think about, but she treasures him above all else. And so the first one, unpacking these, it says, Caesar reminds us that God is ultimately in control. I want to read these verses again just to help you think. Think about what's happening with Caesar. It says, Caesar Augustus, decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. Think about this. Augustus is trying to make everybody register so that Rome can get richer. That's kind of what they're doing. They do a census so that the Romans then will get more money so they can make sure they have everybody accounted for so that everybody pays taxes, okay? And so Augustus has his power on his mind, but God, who's ultimately in control, has his glory and people understanding his glory on his mind. So although Caesar's trying to navigate his life and what's going on for him, God actually uses his sinful tendencies for God's glory, right? Think about this. This is how it happens with all of us. Caesar says, hey, we're going to now do a census of everybody, and they're going to go back. Well, what he didn't know is that probably the one that is going to end up having way more power with him, he was actually playing right into the hand of God, right? Um, there's a, a, a prophecy from Micah 2, and it says that a Savior would come, and guess what city it says he would be born in? Bethlehem. Some of y'all need to go read Matthew and Luke, and I'm just kidding, okay? But it says that he'll be born in Bethlehem, okay? Now, that's what the prophecy said, and guess where Joseph was from? He was from the lineage of David, and guess where the people who were from the lineage of David lived? In Bethlehem, okay? So, they, or Joseph was not in Bethlehem. Well, Caesar calls for a census that you have to go back to your hometown, which plays right into the prophecy of the Almighty God, even though Caesar, listen, Caesar wasn't trying to send uh, Joseph and Mary and, and their baby-to-be back to Bethlehem so that God would get all the glory, right? Kind of like we do. We don't do many things so that God would get all the glory, but rather he was doing it so that he would have more power. But God takes that and says, essentially, we see here, because we're on the back end of it, our hindsight's 2020, that he was doing it so that God would receive all the glory. Let me pause there and try to apply this well to our lives. And I'll share my story, and you can think about yours. And this is what I mean by letting it remind your heart of God's sovereignty and his love for us and how that comes together. I was 17, and uh, I wanted to glorify God with my whole life. False statement, okay? I was supposed to laugh. Y'all don't know how I was before Jesus, okay? Um, I did not want to glorify God with my whole life. I wanted an identity that people like me, right? I wanted a reputation. I wanted to be known as a guy that was pretty cool, but also a good athlete. But I wanted to be able to hang out in the party crowd. And um, I wanted to be able to uh, have girls. I, I struggled with such an identity. I needed other girls to build me up and tell me how great I was and other guys, right? And so what God does is he says, I'm going to send you to Georgia Southern University. Now, what I've heard my whole life is that Georgia Southern University is going to feed those things, right? 
So I take off as a selfish, self-glorifying person to this college that I'm going to indulge in those things in. But guess what? Isaiah says that people move by the hand of God. It's not on accident. I take off to Statesboro where I'm supposed to go and party and, and do these great things and, and be a Division I athlete and it's just going to be awesome. It's not what God's plan was, right? I was trying to indulge myself in self-glorifying things much like Caesar was, but I get there, those things get ripped from me and I get humiliated because my identity falls apart but it's right there in the most unexpected place where God meets me and changes my life and changes my heart, right? Much like what is going on here. And so I, my, my question in the application here is, is, I don't think anybody's here by accident, whether it's your first time, whether you came to our church a year ago, where you are on your spiritual journey. I don't, I don't know exactly. Maybe you were saved at 4 or 14 or 44 or 74, what I know is that God is in control and that he, through his grace, is helping us come to a place and reminding us often of his love and mercy for us, right? And it's not always super easy to see that, but that's what we see here, is that we often will do things and God will change the trajectory of that for his glory. And then what happens is, is when he does those things, then we end up in a better place. Let me just give you the other quick example of this. This is why often I think that uh, we turn to the Lord when things are hard, but we don't when they're great, right? It's almost like God has to sovereignly put us in maybe situations where we fear a little bit or we don't know the future or, or he takes things out of our control because in America, we're, we're, we're to that. I want to know that my money's going to be there when I wake up. I want to know that retirement's going to be there, right? But he often, in his sovereignty, does those things to bring us back to him and cause us to have a love for him and cause us to see our biggest issue as our sin, not our comfort. And then he shows us again his grace and mercy and what he did through Christ, Right? And then we realize that the Christmas story is not just about Jesus being born, but Jesus had to be born so that he could endure the cross. But it didn't end with Jesus' death. It ended with his resurrection, right? And it all ties together for our greatest need, which is our sin needing to be sacrificed for. Second thing we see, I've never got through a point that fast. Y'all are excited. <laughs> Second thing we see is the shepherds and angels remind us of the gospel, they remind us of the goodness of God and what he accomplished for us on the cross. I want to apply this to our life and kind of look at what happens with the angels and the shepherds especially. Verse 9, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great what? What does it say? Fear. In all of our stories... If we've truly come to Christ, you guys, if we've truly come to Christ, then what's happened at some point is we've had great fear before God, okay? This is why um, Peter, when he realizes on the boat that Jesus is God, you know what Peter says? Woe is me. He was in fear all of a sudden because Peter sees he's unholy and he's before a holy God. And he says, woe is me. I don't deserve this. Woe. It's the same thing that happened with the shepherds here. 
It says that they were filled with fear because they realized that there's something wrong with them, but there's nothing wrong with God. And so you kind of go, I don't really, I shouldn't be around this. You know what I mean? It's the same thing that happened with Isaiah in the Old Testament. God reveals his glory to him. And he says, woe is me. And then God has to cleanse him by touching a coal on his tongue, right? There's this field all through scripture. Same thing that happens with baby Jesus. When, they, when God reveals himself to us, at some point we go, woe is me. That's the most broken state we can be in. But often, right, we have to be broken before we understand the goodness of Christ. Right? We have to come before God and say, I'm sinful. I live my whole life for me, for my glory, for me to be praised. And it's when God reveals himself to us in that moment, we say, I'm broken, I'm selfish. But the story doesn't end there, does it, friends? What happens next? Christmas. <laughs> That's why it's great, right? Because they didn't stop in fear. The rest of the story happens. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. Listen, guys, we don't have to fear. Just like we sang. We don't have to fear of our sin and our unholiness before God. Not because of us, but because of Christ for us, right? That's why the song says that Christ is our plea. When we get to judgment day at the end of this, we don't say, God, look at what I did. Look at how great I was. Look how good I have a career I made it. Look at how much money I gave, right? That's not going to chalk it up for him. Our plea to God for our unholiness compared to his holiness is the blood of Jesus and what he accomplished for us. Listen, that's why all of this is good news, right? The good news starts with Christ being born because it eventually gets us to the cross. I got to thinking about this, and at this point, it seems as humiliation in a manger and on a cross, but eventually it's exaltation when the stone is moved, right? That, that navigation from all of this, Jesus' rise to glory represents us to being sons and daughters of God. Think about this. For them, in verse 9, fear came before worship, just like it does for us, the same way. But thank God for his goodness, and it starts with Christmas. For Jesus, and much like us, shame comes before comfort, right? Jesus was shamed on the cross, much like us. Listen, I, I wrote this down, and I think this is good application. Most likely, when we get to those broken places, we're at a place of shame. We're searching for an identity. That's what it was for me. And I've never been more comfortable in my identity and confident in who I was than when I gave my life to Christ. Because then you don't have to live for people. You're not living for your boss. You're not living for the, the, the money if you're your own boss. You're not living for, uh, for, to please other people, right? You have an identity that's firm in Jesus. And then last one we see in verse 16 is there's humiliation before exaltation. I want to skip down to verse 16 and let's read it. This is what the shepherds run to. This is what the shepherds see when they take off. Talk about reminding us of the goodness of Jesus. Like Ephesians 1 says that uh, God lavished his love on us, right? We weren't, we weren't just openly. God gave it to me. He had to lavish it on us. It says in verse 16, and they went with haste. It's an interesting word. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. At that point, Jesus probably wasn't as glorious as he was after the resurrection. You follow me here? There's a lot of humiliation in this idea. It says in verse 7 that they didn't have room for him in the inn. Now, 
Now, I'll be honest, people paint that picture either way. Uh, honestly, they probably go to the extremes. It probably wasn't as bad as somebody's ever made it been that he was in a manger because he was still wrapped and, and, and he was warm and he was fine, but it also wasn't as good either. You know what I mean? He was still in a manger, and so it still wasn't great. But either way, you get the picture of humiliation, and that's what happens to us before we realize Christ. We, we get to a humiliated place where we're like, I'm broken, I'm broken, I'm broken, and Lord, thank you. It's kind of like what happens in our story as we sing about the, the, the story of Jesus, or as we talked about with Jesus to come. There's a point going to be on earth, probably the most humiliating place that any of us will get to in here is right before we die. It's going to be hard. We're going to feel like, what in the world? But then guess what? The day of Jesus comes, as the Bible refers to it, the day of the Lord, and we get resurrected with him, right? And then we get to sing with him forevermore, praising God in all glory with a new heaven and a new earth with no sickness, no sin, no miscarriages, no rapes, no nothing, right? And we get to sing to God forever for his goodness and his praise and his glory. And then we get to be exalted into that. And it's interesting when you think here because, you know, just thinking about this from like Jesus's perspective, this seems pretty humiliating. But this probably wasn't the, the crux, the pinnacle of Jesus' humiliation. When do you think that was? When he was on the cross, right? When it says the world got dark all of a sudden, and he was on the cross for three hours, and he cried out to the Father, Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Listen, you talk about being able to get through a hard time because of the light at the end. It's like we sing. Listen, we're not, we're not getting through suffering because we think the healing's coming tomorrow or the blessing's right around the corner. Because sometimes the blessing might not be right around the corner, right? But what we know is that in the end, when death comes, we're all going to be healed one day, right? Before the throne, we're all going to be worshiping for eternity in heaven. And it may or may not happen on earth, right? Jesus even was humiliated to a sense here, but yet it was coming, right? The time was coming. And so when we see th sing things like joy to the world, like the, the Christmas song, Joy to the World, I'll, I'll save you guys from me singing it, but that song, that song was not written for the first coming of Christ. That song's written for the second one, right? Joy to the world is coming, you guys, and we get that because Christ at Christmas. And so this is kind of the beginning story that gets us to Easter, really, you know? It's kind of where it all wraps together. And then point number three, this is it. Mary reminds us of our greatest treasure. We'll read the rest of it again, starting in verse 18. And we'll see what Mary does. And all who heard it, these are all the people, the shepherds, everybody around, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I think that's what this season does for us well, right? Is it causes us to ponder at all Christ did for us. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And then at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, which was the name the angel that Michael had given him before he was conceived in the mother's womb. Remember, they appeared to Joseph and Mary before this, saying, you will have a son and he will be called Jesus, which is the Christ, which is the Savior of the world. I got to thinking, and I think this is interesting, because many things 
in our life now, and I think this is just good application, leave us pondering things in our heart and leave us praising and worshiping like the shepherds. But what this should do and what this season should do is remind us that Christ is our ultimate treasure and our worship and praising belongs to him first. Um, you know, it's interesting when you think about treasure. There's a parable in Matthew 13 where uh, a guy says the kingdom of God's in a field and the guy says, I'll, I'll sell everything. And he does and he sells everything and just to have the field so that he can have the treasure in it because he wanted Christ that much. He said, I'm willing to give it up all. And then it says in there, there's a little part in that parable that says he did it with joy. Right? He gave it all up with joy, which is honestly not what we do every time. We do it with a little bit of grief, but we instead of giving our life with joy, we do it with a little bit of something we want to hold back. And it got me thinking, and I just want to talk about presence and, and, and the ultimate gift and everything, but my prayer for this as we remind ourselves of Christmas and what, just what God's done in our life and and listen, maybe, maybe this time does several things for you. Maybe it takes you back to when God started working on you. You know what I mean? I was, I was talking with a guy uh, yesterday, um, an older guy. I think he's high 50s, low 60s. And, you know, he said this, and I, I, I think this just relates to much of it. But he says, I say older. I probably shouldn't put terms like that on it for 50, should I? Y'all are in your 50s, and y'all are like, hey, I ain't old. Yeah, sorry. Um, and the 80-year-olds are like, that ain't old yet, you know. So it never ends, okay? Uh, older than me, we'll say that. Um, but anyway, I was talking to him, and it, the Lord's just started working on him about a year ago. He told me a story of, you know, a guy that he was at a funeral for, and, and the guy was only in, his, only in his 60s. But the guy uh, had died, and, and he, they basically at his funeral, they told stories of how he had come to know the Lord only a few years before he died. Um, he had gotten saved later in life, and... Um, you know, he said, I grew up in church my whole life. He, he's in our church. He, he, he said, I was even part of another startup back years ago, you know. And he said, but it's like only in the last year, year and a half where the Lord started really working on me. You know, where I was, I, I had a, a, a deep desire to know God, to study his word, to, to get past just maybe the fluff of being a Christian, but to just really grab onto it. And um, he was talking about it. And he said, I wish I'd had it sooner. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I had had that desire sooner. I wish I had tried to fuel it and cultivate my love for God sooner. And, and I said to him, I said, it's funny is I'm a pastor and, you know, I'm younger than you are. I said, but I feel the same way. You know, the Lord saved me when I was 20. But there's a big part of me that wishes the Lord had saved me when I was like 15. You know, I would have got out of a lot of junk. If I had known the Lord and been trying to cultivate my life, then, and I think that's the case for all of us. Why? Because we look back and there's like this, this part of us that says, man, this is so good and so sweet, but I, I just want, I wish I had it sooner, you know? And I say all that to say the reality of it all is, is that we just don't treasure Christ like we probably should, you know? And I think what that starts with is several things, but I think it starts, and I say this often, because we see a lot of time our biggest problems as not being our sin problem, right? If sin is our biggest problem, then Christ does become our biggest treasure. Because then we know that Christ paid the price for our biggest issue, which makes him then our biggest treasure. But then I think, you know, our hearts start fighting for treasure in other places. It's like we're a kid, you know? What do we tell our kids? There's a reason for the season. 
You know, the, the best gift is not what's under the tree. The best gift is Jesus. I, I was sitting there this morning. I had my Bible open early. I don't know, probably about seven. And I had it open. And I don't know why. I just thought I'd ask Dax, three-year-old, what's the greatest gift of the year? Jesus, you know. And he just knows it because we say it. But there's a difference in saying things and treasuring things. You know what I mean? Because he don't smile when I say, hey, Dax, you want to say your bedtime prayers? He doesn't light up with a smile. But last night when we did presents at my mom's house, you know what he was doing? Smiling ear to ear, you know. But what happens is we, we don't really grow out of that kid-like love for Christ either, you know. We don't. We, things are still fighting for our heart. We are treasuring things, and it's a lifelong journey of trying to learn to treasure Christ in every moment, in every season, in every part of our week. You know what I'm saying? I think how hard it is to treasure Christ on Saturday like you do today. It's a little easier to treasure Christ when you go home after Sunday, after worshiping. It is for me. It's a little easier to, to treasure Christ after Connect Group, you know, that, that drive home from small group. It's a little easier to treasure Christ then. But treasuring Christ fully in our life is something that we're on a journey trying to do all the time. And so my, my prayer is this morning that as we think about this and even think about all of this, is that the light of Christmas, right, the, the Christmas season will just cause a spark of our love in treasuring Christ. My prayer is that maybe this Christmas season is one season where you start really reading the Bible for yourself. You know what I mean? Maybe you've, you've grown dry in reading the scriptures and you're just not in them. You know, I pray that this is a spark to do that. Maybe you have kids and you, you haven't really been trying to, you know, teach them God's word or talk about the Lord with them. And this is a spark for that. Maybe it's just another Christmas and you're just trying to figure out in the busyness of life to how can I treasure Christ when January comes or instead of being a New Year's resolution, instead of Easter. And we get in these rhythms of times where Christ is important, but us treasuring Christ all the time. I wrote this down, and I think this kind of explains it as we wrap it up, but I, I wrote this. Let the light of Christmas be a spark to us in our gratitude to God, but help it not create a shadow on Jesus, right? I, the hope is that in the, in the light of the world coming, that Jesus doesn't become the shadow from the light. You know what I mean? We do all these things, but we forget what it is. And so I just want to do this. Our worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing a song um, that... We sang already, so you guys will know it. And I'm just going to give you a few minutes as I pray to just ponder on treasuring Christ. There's no uh, just, just rawness with your heart before the Lord. Um, maybe uh, let it be a little bit of time of reflection um, of where you're at and um, everything that's going on in your life. But just maybe think of what personal spiritual next steps you have of, of, of how you can treasure Christ more often. Um, in your life because there's a next step for all of us in doing that. Amen? Let's pray together and then as I finish praying we'll praise the Lord again. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray now that myself included, God, would you reveal God, our next steps in our spiritual journey to us. God, help us be as Mary did and God, when we hear the things of God, help us treasure and ponder them in our heart. Lord, I know that myself, I get often caught up in the mind things of why should I believe or what about this or how does this doctrine or theology, how does this play into. But Lord, I pray that we would 
realize that we're all navigators, God. We're trying to navigate our life and making you the priority in our life. So, God, I pray now that you would uh, reveal to us ways that we maybe miss the mark or next steps we have of putting our life before you and saying, Lord, where can I treasure you more? Maybe it's reading scripture seriously. Maybe it's discipling your kids seriously. Maybe it's putting your reputation to the side and not doing so much for what people think about you, but living your life for how God thinks about you. Maybe it's even smaller things, like trying to find ways to discipline yourself and prioritize the Lord and your prayer time daily or prioritize your, your life and your reading time daily. I pray that you would use this story as we saw with the shepherds and angels. God, remind us of where we were when we found you. God, how humbling it is that, God, your word says that the, the spirit that we all have as believers in us is the revealer of truth. God, it brings us revelation and not, not different revelation, but revelation of what you've done for us. God, the Spirit reminds us often of your grace that you lavished on us through Christ. And so, Lord, would you just use this time not as something far off or abstract, but God, use it to stir our affections for you. God, we want to be people that love you with all our heart and with all our soul. God, help us do that well. God, help this season be one that we celebrate well. I pray that we all have enjoyable weeks celebrating with family, even the heartache that sometimes uh, Christmas can bring with a family having a, a first-time kid with Christmas, but then it may be the first Christmas without somebody. God, I pray that in all of it, we would rejoice at what Christmas is, which is, God, you sending your son to be born. God, so that we don't have to live in fear as the shepherds and angels did before they heard the good news. God, we don't have to live in a place of condemnation, as Romans says, because in Christ, because of Christ, there's no condemnation for our sin, because at Christmas you were born, and that's what got you to the cross to triumph over death and your resurrection. God, we don't have to live without hope. And Lord, I thank you for that. And so God, pray this time would be a time where we celebrate all that you've done for us. God, we thank you for Christ and it being the greatest thing for us. We love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You guys stand and let's sing together.